Thank you for joining me for American Stories with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about a little-known speech from one of our quietest presidents. When we think of great presidential speeches, a few probably spring to our minds. There's Ronald Reagan's Tear Down This Wall proclamation and John Kennedy's Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We'd also need to include FDR's Day of Infamy speech, delivered after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941, and Lincoln's stirring Gettysburg Address, fourscore and seven years ago, One of the finest presidential speeches, however, came not from those or other eloquent men, but from Calvin Coolidge. The 30th president of the United States was not known for his silver tongue. He was no great communicator. In fact, his nickname was Silent Cal, and he bore the brunt of many jokes about his taciturn nature. One person asked him why he didn't find it necessary to talk much, and he responded, Well, I found out early in life that you didn't have to explain something you hadn't said. At one dinner party, a woman sitting next to Coolidge admitted she had bet someone she could get him to say more than three words. Without missing a beat, he told her, You lose. On another occasion, financier and presidential advisor Bernard Baruch asked him why he usually didn't say much during interviews. Coolidge told him, Well, Baruch, many times I say only yes or no to people. Even that is too much. It winds them up for 20 minutes more. Born in Vermont on July 4, 1872, Coolidge remained in Massachusetts after graduating there from Amherst College. He became a lawyer and rose from the ranks of local government to become that Commonwealth's governor. He became Warren G. Harding's vice president in 1921. Two years later, Coolidge's life changed abruptly while visiting his childhood home in Plymouth Notch. At 2.30 in the morning of August 2, 1923, a messenger knocked on the door. There was no phone at this home. The messenger had somber news. President Harding had died rather unexpectedly, and Coolidge was the new commander-in-chief. In what may have been the most unassuming presidential swearing-in ceremony, Coolidge's father, a justice of the peace, administered the oath of office at 2.47 a.m. by kerosene light because the house had no electricity. An able and principled man, Coolidge is remembered more for his conservative, hands-off approach to governing than for the grand gestures or accomplishments of other presidential counterparts. However, when he went to Philadelphia 
to commemorate the 150th anniversary of American independence. Coolidge, according to historian Wilfred M. McClay, gave a speech that stands in the line of great presidential speeches from Jefferson to Lincoln, a reminder to Americans then and now of the exceptional character of their own revolution and of the enduring importance of liberty and equality as natural rights. Here is an excerpt from what President Coolidge said on that day. About the Declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. It is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences which have given us a great advantage over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. But that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the Revolutionary Fathers. Thank you for joining me for American Stories with Rebecca Price Janney. For more inspiration from our country's founding era, please read my Easton series novels from Elk Lake Publishing, including the latest, Easton at Christmastide, which has recently been named a finalist in the Sela Award Competition for Historical Fiction. Thank you.